Now and Again is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage, Keanu, and more, head on over to cageclub.me. That is cageclub.me. Previously on Now and Again, Volume 4. Yeah. We're, we're riding a high before we elect Donald Trump as president. And <laughs> exactly. That's insane. He's like that. Is, he's like hooked up like Doctor Octopus to this yeah. like, brain computer or something. This is the definition of bubblegum pop. What was your file sharing service that you probably used the most? Dab it, dab it, dab it, do, dab it, da, dab it. Next track on the list, I feel like we're kind of going into a, a dead zone of this of this now. We've got Montel Jordan with Get It On Tonight. And this is a Montel Jordan song that isn't This Is How We Do It, so it's immediately slightly <laughs> disappointing. Yeah, this is more of like the R&B tip. I, I actually like this more than Joe, which we had a couple songs ago, actually. Like, I will, I will take this. But the thing that really sticks out for me um, is, the, is, the, is the sample that they use. Like, I rec- recognize this now. It's a Claudia Berry sample, Love for the Sake of Love. And this is in a very sample-heavy time of R&B and hip-hop, and I don't know, man, I could just listen to this loop, like, forever. <laughs> like, just the instrumental, it's just so appealing. Yeah, I kind of like the music, I like the melody that he's singing through it. I really hate the lyrics and the video, because it's gross as hell. Yeah, the video is bad. <laughs> um, <laughs> just, like, lots of furs, and it's, yeah, just, like, mansions, the club... Yeah, you it's know. a it's a guy who his girlfriend wants him to go to just a dinner party with her friends, and he just starts getting on his little uh, like sidekick phone and texting yes. other women because his girl is stressing him, and just goes and cheats on his his long term girlfriend, and that's the whole song and the video. Just like I've got a girl, I should be at home tonight, but let's get it on tonight. It's gross. Yeah, it's so strange how music has always sort of disguised its message, right? Like, it, I, I think of, like, um, in high school, we were, like, everyone's voting for the senior song, and they wanted it to be, like, Shook Me All Night Long, and we're like, <laughs> we actually got it to not be that, because we're like, no, it's, like, about banging and stuff, so that was switched. We tried, in the song we wanted, never made it either, but we tried to sabotage that whole deal. But, I mean, going back to Chuck Berry, you know, like, listening to him now, Sweet Little Sixteen and all that stuff, you're like, ooh, shivers. Oh, yeah. Driving girls cross state lines and all that. Uh, yeah, Chuck <laughs> Berry had some issues. I mean, at least this isn't that gross. I mean, again, we've, we've on previous episodes, we've talked about how problematic R. Kelly is. Uh, even though Montel Jordan is singing about gross shit, like, at least as far as I know, uh, it's, you know, sort of... A story that he's telling. It's not necessarily, you know, Chuck Berry singing about his gross predilections. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I I can see that too. I take it as a fiction, and it's yeah, it's just part of yeah storytelling, you know. And I I like that more than 
people like rapping about not rapping necessarily but just i like when artists and musicians like concoct stories as opposed to just singing about like themselves or their own lives and things like that i wish it was a, a little more obvious in this but i give him a little leeway for that i don't i don't actually think he's going to go out and cheat on his wife or anything yeah i i think you know i'm i'm certainly one to always like a good bump and grind song specifically if it is bump and grind uh, by R. kelly but like this is a fine one i just wish it was about getting it on tonight with like a rando in the club, not a rando in the club who's not your girlfriend that you specifically have. Uh, just because, you know, I, I don't, I've never abided by that. And it's just, it's, it's a little creepy. And the video really following up on the story within the song, which I do appreciate and wish more videos did. It's just, it's weird because the girls, like, it's, they're not in a bad relationship. She's just like, want to not go to the club tonight and be in a relationship. And he's like, ugh, why are you stressing me? I guess nowadays the song would be titled like Netflix and Chill, right? Like I'm Netflixing and chilling with her, like oh, something man. like that. <laughs> I and I agree. Like, real. why can't he just stay in with his girl and please her? Isn't that what it's all about? Is like making her happy? But <laughs> I, I kind of thought the video was going to this place where this was just going to be his fantasy. Like mm-hmm. he's domestic. Oh, he wakes up is... next to his like real girlfriend. Yeah, I think that would have been would have been a nice little twist, but that's uh, unfortunately. Unfortunately, not where too deep. <laughs> even even that little like skimming the surface is too deep. I feel for Montel. Yeah. Unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, it's a fine song. I didn't know a single Montel Jordan song that wasn't. This is how we do it. <laughs> I don't think anyone does. <laughs> and like, I don't. I'm not a big R and B guy. I mean, I was starting to spin hip hop at this point, but like R and B still wasn't really my thing even when they spiced it up with quicker beats you know I, I kind of thought that was more interesting where you would have like R. Kelly was kind of I guess he was more known for that right like he mm-hmm. wouldn't just he wouldn't just croon under like the slow stuff he would also like belt it out over quicker beats and stuff too sure. I like that kind of stuff but yeah I didn't I hadn't really been listening to R&B since Boys to Men you know and I was just like how could it have gotten any better than that <laughs> you know i don't know yeah, and, and it's a big swing too like you had uh boys to men being very like those were love making songs but these are like fucking songs you know <laughs> yeah yeah right right absolutely yeah it's a very thirsty song <laughs> but i like it uh, i just you know despite the fact that the lyrics are a little gross so is i mean so is like the lyrics of less caress are is gross too but i love them so the the blend here that we're getting like uh, you know considering like the next song and and everything i was just very surprised that uh, we're getting two these slow jams and maybe more so i think we got more than two slow jams but i was surprised they had more than one guy on here you know doing this so that was kind of cool well let's jump right into the next song it's ben harper with steal my kisses steal my kisses from you always have to steal my kisses from you have to steal my kisses ooh, ooh, boy. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, oh. You start this one. Well, I, I would love to just <laughs> skip over this track. Honestly, this is really a whole lot like, of Like, where did these guys sprout from? I mean, I know this guy came before it, but, like, if you've never heard of Ben Harper, imagine someone listened to Jason Mraz and was like, you know what that needs? More beatboxing. <laughs> and if that sounds like the worst thing in the world, you're right. Yeah, like, this guy needs, like, a Dave Matthews band behind him. You know what I mean? Like, that's where he belongs, I feel. Um, 
I don't know if he's like a is he doing some kind of country thing or is he hearkening back to 60s classic rock where it was just like a dude with his guitar yeah. singing about his chick it's pretty bluesy mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. the best thing I can say about it is it feels bluesy it feels pretty chill isn't there like a some, some Johnson guy that is very similar to this like very mellow acoustic there's there's some guy now well not now but I mean I, I'm so bad with, with names of current guys but like the guy who's a famous white guy who plays guitar with everybody, John Mayer. Uh, he's kind of a nut, a nutcase. I don't know. Black hair. Is it John Mayer? <laughs> yeah, John Mayer. Right. Like I got like John Mayer is like the pinnacle of these types of dudes for me. Like the good version. You know, the guy with like actually, I understand. You know his his style and stuff. But this feels like it is trying to be stuff like that. I don't know. I just kind of get like a plastic feel from this. Yeah, I feel like it's a weed dad music that's trying to be modern. Mm, there you go. I just, yeah, I mean, this I is like definitely, it. you know, like playing in the Starbucks. Oh, 100%. It's it's playing in the Starbucks. Yeah. It is the most Starbucksy music I think we've had on Now and Again so far. <laughs> and I, I don't like it. There's nothing about it. It's very repetitive. Ton of uh, video babes, because every fucking video at this time needed girls in bikinis. Yeah, it's like the most basic, like... I don't know, low budget, I guess, at this point, like video, there's just, they're on, they're clearly on a set, yeah. but it's just like, a, it's like a beach set, like a beach blanket bingo kind of thing, I guess, some split screen going on, but yeah, just like cheerleaders, why are you, why are there cheerleaders at the beach? Yeah. Who cares? Um, there's a fun little part where it's a solo break, and there's a guy singing around the bikini babes, and they're still dancing to the beat, even though the beat has completely fallen off, and it looks really silly. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't seem like the kind of guy who's like a front man to me. I don't know. It's, it, or the guy, like, I don't imagine this song coming out of this guy, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I see, I, I get what you're saying. Because Maybe that's just the like, image of the video. He's got this weird way of dressing. He's wearing, like, a, a, a casino dealer's visor, like, sideways over his afro, <laughs> and it's matching his suit jacket, but he's also still on a beach, it's just this really weird mesh of a lot of different styles between, I mean, not just the, the, the person, but the music, and none of it really works in a way mm. that feels cohesive or feels listenable for more than about two minutes, and this is 4.33. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, for me it feels forced, mm-hmm. and I, I have kind of a theory, like, you mentioned blues, I mentioned country, I, I have a feeling these guys, like, before, maybe before they got signed, uh, were were kind of like a rock blues band, you know, from the south or something, I could totally see these guys rocking out Bourbon Street before, you know, fate came calling at them, and then just may have just sold away themselves to their image, you know, and just, you know, the producer's like, nah, we're gonna, we're gonna make you a little more mellow, we're gonna, you know... We're going to chill you out a bit more or whatever. It just, that's how it appears to me. It just feels like a band that isn't doing what they want to do. Right. Or a band who like, this is the one song that they had on an album that sounded like this. And some yes, exactly that- <laughs> like, you're just going to do that forever. Dude, how many times did you get screwed from that? Where like, <laughs> we're dumb kids. And, you know, I remember, what was it? 
well, actually, it's it's kind of funny because Blind Melon, I remember that song, but then I ended up actually fucking loving that album. But I mean, it happened a few times where like the song would come out and then it's like the only commercial hit on the entire album, and you're just like, shit. <laughs> Harvey Danger's Flagpole Sitta was a was an example of that that's come up on this show a lot. I keep wanting to go back and listen to the album because I love that song so much, and it's very split. Everyone has said the rest of the album's not like that, but it's split on people are like it's great otherwise or it's complete shit otherwise i just feel like the industry is like half built on that you know like (laughs) if uh even if you're a band with talent it just like maybe it depends on the management marketing and whatever you know whoever if you get in with a person who understands your sound and how to sell you and everything but it's just crazy how that's just such a fixture and i I guess that's a lot of like that one hit wonder Mm -hmm. phenomenon too you know that's that's like a a weird thing that about music it's always gonna and I guess, I mean, I always expected that from the now volumes, but one thing that surprised me about doing this podcast is that these aren't necessarily all one-hit wonders, which is what I was, you know, sort of more expecting. Right. Uh, you've, you've got some stuff that, it's just really what was on the radio at the time, and one-hit wonders were certainly things, more so in the mid-90s, but they're still happening for sure. A great example of a record companies throwing everything at the wall and seeing what stuck was like how ska became slightly radio friendly and popular mm. in the mid '90s. Like had the impression that I get, and uh, I know Real Big Fish. Like Sellout was a big song. Holy shit, dude! Boss tones. Like you don't even want to know. Like me and my friends, like fucking lived on the Boss tones, and then they're in fucking Clueless. Like we lost our minds with. We were so goddamn upset like especially I, I, I like denounced that band at one point in my <laughs> life because of that Boston albums like and I know I said like first they, four they were metal as there's fuck. some really good oh stuff oh my god but Real Big Fish they had sellout and um I know recently they put out probably not recently within like the last five years they put out a greatest hits album and it's called uh, greatest hit and 16 other songs which I think is a pretty great <laughs> nice. little self-aware joke yeah yeah that's about that's about I, I remember getting that album and and Going, I, I actually ended up liking that album pretty well, but like we were really into well, me and my friends, like the the Toasters. Mm. I don't know if you're oh, aware yeah. of, of them. It's crazy, fucking good band there. And then we just went back to like old ska and reggae and shit like that. And like I don't know, like yeah, commercial ska was so, so strange. Like we were so blindsided in the '90s. Like me and my core group of friends, like we were all pretty much like punk rockers into like the Ramones and the Clash and new wave music and stuff like that and then like we're we're at like green day shows like two years before they hit and then suddenly like people who would laugh at us for listening to that shit at lunch are, are like wearing their t-shirts and you know dyeing their hair and it was just like driving us crazy oh yeah yeah i mean when you're a kid you have this whole idea of what authenticity is and did a band sell out and like who i mean as an adult now we know like who gives a shit if a band like what is selling out right and that's not a real thing but when mm-hmm. you're that age and you're so into the culture and something is yours, like you don't want to lose that. You don't want you know, quote unquote like normies enjoying the same thing that you did <laughs> that you saw in a in a basement with 15 people. Yeah, exactly, dude. I remember the night before senior year, I went to see AFI in a fucking garage in like Westwood, New Jersey. You know, and this was their first album, like uh, Answer That and Stay Fashionable. This was like two albums before they became emo 
drudge, whatever the hell they became and won Grammys and stuff. And it was like insane. It was like the, I don't know, friends, like my older friends were saying like these were, those were like the end of days pretty much for like the punk scene. And like, unfortunately, I only got there at the end, but that was fun. Let's uh, get away from Ben Harper as soon as we possibly can. We were talking about that throwback sound. We're going to jump into a song that I would argue kind of does it well. It's another Smash Mouth jam. It's Then the Morning Comes. It's just the way that you talk Like it ain't no thing And every single day is just a play And I've never heard this song before And I kind of like it. What? You've never heard no, this the song? the only Smash Mouth songs I knew were Walking on the Sun, All Star, and I think they do a cover for, like, a Shrek movie. Um... I'm a believer, I want to say. They do a cover of, yeah. Yep. Yeah, so at the time, I was not digging Smash Mouth, but now I freaking love these guys. <laughs> like, I, re- I must have listened to this, like, when you said do Volume 4, or I picked Volume 4, like, I must have listened to this song, like, 15 times since then. <laughs> like, I just put it on. It just makes me feel good. And it, I don't know if the rest of their music is as successful, but this song... Really, I really like this. I like this a lot more, and this sound kind of jives more with Walking on the Sun, this kind of loungy, laid-back mm-hmm. sound that stuff like All-Star doesn't have. And this is way more entertaining. I'm super into this sound. Yeah, the All-Star stuff is like what you find in movies on soundtracks and like Mystery Men and Rat Race and shit. But then I feel like there's a real Smash Mouth. You know, kind of like we were saying you know like about the band with the album you buy and then your the rest of the album kind of sucks you want that one song and it's like i feel like smash mouth does like a weird switcheroo where they get you to buy the album because of like their pop hit and then you find out that no they're like this 60s throwback SoCal garage rock band and you're like yeah uh, i feel like we why are like we just got they're super more hypocritical this. like we were like selling out doesn't exist it's just a band evolving and then we're like fuck all stars give us this sound <laughs> But, I mean, it's just, this is a sound that, and I think it's more that All-Star has just been driven so deep into our skulls that hearing this sound feels more authentic than hearing 30 seconds of a song in every commercial and trailer for 20 years. I agree, yeah. You know, there there are, this genuinely, to me, at times, like, close your eyes, it sounds like a song from, like, the late 60s that you might hear on a later episode of the Wonder Years. I don't know exactly, but, like, it doesn't sound like anything else happening at the time, mm-hmm. right? And so I understand why Smash Mouth became, like, a big success and commercial success. Like, they could do it both, you know? Like, they could please the corporates, and then they could please their fans and stuff. And they sort of were able to find a way to meet them all in between. Yeah, there was this very small period of time where this kind of laid-back, loungy sound was hitting the mainstream a little bit, but it was all in different styles. Like, you could argue ska was kind of like that. I think Lit kind of did that, but with more of a punk edge. It's kind of just these guys wearing bowling shirts and bowling shoes and having (laughs) tattoos and wearing wife beaters. Like, that was this kind of style that blended with this sound. It worked for a hot second, but it certainly does feel dated. And I know you mentioned in a previous episode Sublime, and you really you don't really like Sublime so much, but I feel like it sort of was in the same category, and I don't think they were around at this point, and these guys 
are kind of what I, I think they're like. I kind of like Sublime and never really got into them, but I feel like these guys are doing that tighter. Sublime was totally just a garage band that made it, and these guys feel like actual musicians that have studied and you know are trying to accomplish a certain sound and actually you know can read music, right? Whatever. But like, I just feel like they're a little more seasoned. I feel like this is going to get a lot of hate, but I think, yeah, I would rather listen to Smash Mouth than Sublime. I think I would, too. Like, haters, you know, come at us, but, you know, part of the motto here is you're allowed to like what you like, right. so, I mean, we like that more. <laughs> Something I've noticed from watching multiple Smash Mouth videos is every video is about him being aware <laughs> that he's a dopey-looking, doughy idiot. And girls thinking he is a dopey-looking doughy idiot, (laughs) which I can kind of appreciate. There was just some kind of, like, charm about that. Like, I just couldn't get mad at them, you know, even if I didn't like the music. Absolutely. And I'll I'll certainly, to this day, I'll never fault Smash Mouth for riding that all-star wave to the very, very end. Because when you have that hit song... They're still riding it. (laughs) Yeah, they had that Smash, no pun intended, Smash song... And, like, better than never having a hit, I would say. Yeah, and they had multiple... I mean, nothing ever as big as All-Star, but they still had multiple hits, so, yeah. Like they, they they could actually put out, like, a Greatest Hits album. <laughs> they, owe, they owe Mike Myers um, uh, a lot for, for <laughs> yeah. slamming their songs into a lot of, lot of soundtracks, a lot of movies. Shit, dude. They, I mean, I just feel like that song was in... Or one of their songs was just in, in everything, like... It was like a maybe maybe that's why I just couldn't get into them at the time, and I like them more now is because of the Smash Mouth bombardment. It was just it was serious business. Yeah, I mean they banked, and I'm I'm sure that you know Smash Mouth's most recent album is a huge bowl of shit. Like I would put money on that, but what we are kind of saying is that the sound surprised us, and it's a pretty good sound, especially in 2000. And there's not a lot doing that, and it works. And it flows, and it's fun, and it's got a style that you can't really find. And I would listen to that song again. Hear, hear. Another band who kind of had their moment at this time and then went dormant for a while, uh, maybe they're the cicada of bands, is Train. And this is Meet Virginia. Well, she wants to live her life And she thinks about her this was train i knew this song but had no idea this was the hey soul sister guys yeah what i don't see i'm at a loss because i can't remember train at all now i probably like i knew this song and i didn't know it was them so i probably know their big hit too and just didn't know their name was train Mm -hmm. so can you maybe like hum a bar too or something or what was their other well they did big hit um they had i feel like the the distance between their hits was a lot maybe a lot smaller than I think it was, but they had this, I guess, around 2000, and then at some point they're going to get Drops of Jupiter, and then I feel like another large distance they're going to do Hey Soul Sister. Um, man, I'm not a great singer, especially at this guy's range, but Drops of Jupiter is like a, <laughs> tell me, did the wind sweep you off your feet? Oh yes, feet? note immediately. And then Hey Soul Sister is, um, hey, hey, 
Hey, soul sister, play that Mr. Mr. Oh, yes. Okay, got it now. He's got like that that half-hunger-dunger Eddie Vedder voice, but keeps it a little high. Good call. Yeah, I could definitely hear hear that Vedderness to it. Yeah, and that's funny, too, because they kind of are like a Pearl Jam spinoff band, almost. Not that there's any members of it, but it almost feels like the evolution of that of that sound in a weird way? Yeah, so this is 2000. I feel like this is a band that's been together for five or six years and came out in the grunge scene and has kind of evolved out of it as that died. Because that chorus is very, like, like rest in peace grungy. Yeah, oh, I'm looking now. They do this song, Calling All Angels, and if it's the one I'm thinking of, like, that, he really belts it out in that one and goes for that Seattle scream <laughs> at, at points and stuff. But yeah, I mean, dude, uh, I'm a product of that fucking Seattle scene. I remember wearing plaid shirts around my waist and growing my hair out to my shoulders when I was like 13 <laughs> and 14 until I got to high school and <laughs> I totally, you know, fucking goddamn Kurt Cobain blows his own head off. Yeah. So I was like, all right, well, <laughs> at least I got to see him at Roseland once. But like, that was like that was like no joke that was like if you were into that stuff like that's what me and all my friends were into like before punk rock like we were coming from like metallica alice in chains nirvana and like pearl jam Mm -hmm. you know like the big ones (laughs) basically like we were eating that stuff up at like 13 um so yeah i definitely get a feel of that like pearl rock from these guys for sure and it's another song where I like the sound. I like the uh, the melody that he's going with this. I like the performance, the vocal performance, but I don't like the lyrics. It's basically uh, like here's this manic pixie dream girl. Even the name of probably before uh, that was that was coined, but it's very much about this girl who's so wacky and crazy, and I love her. Yeah, she works at a diner, and, you know, because she wants to, not because she has to, and, you know, she probably, like, goes to the flea market, and, yeah, yeah. you know, designs her own furniture. The waitress in the video is, uh, I don't know why I know her and why I know her name. She's Rebecca Gayhart. She's the, she plays yep. the, the killer in Urban Legend. Spoilers, you know, one of those post-scream horror flicks. But I can't tell you what else she's in. Oh, I can tell you at least one other thing. She's where not Felicity. I, is she? I mean, she. No, okay. well, growing up, like she was the Noxzema girl Ooh. to me. Like she would yes. come on screen and wash her face and be like, "Hey, check it out!" Like da da da, Noxzema. Look at my pores. And like everybody I knew just was in love with her. Um, her eyes are amazing. And then she shows up in nine hundred two one zero in like one of the final seasons and marries Luke Perry and then like. In like the second to last episode, dies in a car crash wow. or something. It's it it was insane. It was insane, but yeah, that's how I knew her. Yeah, I only knew her from uh from that horror movie, and I guess now this video, which I'm glad it doesn't go where I thought it was gonna go. Where it's like, oh, she's the the manic pixie dream girl, and she hates her job, and I'm the lead singer, and I'm gonna pop into the video and save her. It doesn't go there, fortunately. Yeah, it doesn't do the. Um we had before where Kirsten Dunst on the subway, right? Where the lead singer's like leering at her, like singing about her, like, there she is. I I love her before I met her. Uh, It more feels like Train is like relating a story about a girl they know. Yeah. Or even like, um, it feels like it could be about a bunch of girls that he's known or something and he's kind of just mashing, mashing them up into this one person. 
I don't know. I, yeah, I, I was really sort of on the fence about this while I was, you know, listening to all the music, but I'm, I've totally come around like in the end and, and like it. I don't know. And I just feel like the video complements mm-hmm. it in a weird way. I didn't, I can't really explain it, but it's kind of that cool thing where you're seeing what they're singing about yeah. and they're just sort of off site in a barn somewhere mm-hmm. grooving out and show up to order coffee at the very end. But like, I don't know. I like it. I, I'm, I wasn't expecting to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm going to say that, like, there's a big chunk of the album early on, uh, just about this now in general. Like, I know a lot of the stuff from the beginning, but I don't especially like it upon a revisit. And then at the end of this album, there's a chunk of songs that I'm either hearing for the first time or I've completely forgotten and was really surprised by. I think this is the first time that a now has consistently surprised me. Awesome, right? <laughs> I mean, that's cool. It is. It's very cool. And uh, unfortunately, the next song is not one of those that surprised me because I genuinely <laughs> fucking love this song and have forever. It's Macy Gray with "I Try." one right oh absolutely yeah i mean this song just is 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 awesome i mean i don't know how do you <laughs> how do you start that voice is yeah totally unique oh <laughs> you know what's kind of funny is uh, i was on a episode of zack attack with uh, we were watching um this what movie was it? the paper boy i think it was and yeah and macy gray is in it I don't know if you realize, like, she was an actress or anything. She's not half bad. I mean, she's no Whoopi Goldberg or nothing, but, like, she definitely is a one, of a, one of a kind. You know what I'm saying? Like, she's a personality. I really feel like there's no one else like her, and that totally comes through with her sound and her music. Like, she's got deep soul, you know, unlike other girls that got other people who have soul. Like, I really feel like she's somehow um, sort of, like set herself apart, you know what I mean? Yeah, and I actually have a question. I've, yeah. I've listened to that, uh, I've listened to several episodes of that, obviously, cageclub.me, for all of your all of your actor-specific needs. But I listened to that episode because my mother loves Nicole Kidman, and at some point she she was like, you ever hear this movie, The, the Paperboy? And I was like, I don't think so. And she's <laughs> like, it's fucking weird, don't watch it. Um, but So, <laughs> it is Macy Gray, I know she's the narrator from that episode, but is she actually in the movie outside of that? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So in the movie, it takes place hmm, in the '60s. Yeah, in the '60s in Texas, and so she is the maid for. She's Zac Efron's like housemaid. So ah, yeah, she's in like the whole movie, and then she's relating the story as she knows it. You know, the beginning and the end of the movie. She's there. The framing story is her sort of relating what happened and everything. But yeah, so she plays the maid and and she's she's really good. Like that movie is insane. I actually ended up on the like side of that. John Cusack goes full Cusack as I like to say. <laughs> I nice. mean, he just goes he goes real dark in that movie like there's nothing behind those eyes as Danny Trejo once said, but um <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it, she's actually in that whole thing. I don't think she was in much else. She was in Spider-Man One for like a hot Ooh, second, but that okay. was it. She's got a great voice for, for narration. I imagine. I mean, this is her singing voice, but I imagine she's still got that that rasp to it. Yeah, that's what it is. It's that 
it is. It's like that raspy frog throat thing mm-hmm. that just like really. I don't know how she ever made that work, but it's incredible to to hear someone sing through that. Nobody else sounds like this girl. No, and I'm I'm a little afraid. As much as I absolutely adore this song, I'm afraid to listen to more Macy Gray because I feel like I feel like that voice is just so unique to this song that I don't want to spoil mm. uh, "Sound in a Timber" that I love so much on something that's maybe not as good as this. If that makes sense. No, yeah, I'm pretty sure, to my recollection, she keeps this up. This is like on every track. I, I don't think all songs have this type of sway to it. You know, this is a very uplifting song like this song makes me feel awesome when i listen to it and you know i don't know that the rest of her stuff is quite as bright um but i i also don't know for sure you know she could probably throw down some like funk tracks and some other stuff you know what she reminds me of now is like amy winehouse like she doesn't sound like her but just style wise like style wise i feel like she could do blues she could do you know soul she could do funk she could sing all that yeah, I, I could completely, I could see her doing like an acoustic stripped down folk song and it being really, really emotional, 100%. And this song in and of itself, I mean, just the, the composition of it, the writing of it, I love the the end where it, it builds up to that crescendo. Yes. I just love the, the run, the vocal rundown of my welcome, it just, it just goes and falls down, which is perfect for that line. Yeah, yeah, it that's it totally builds and then then it has like that shift and it gets higher and everything. I mean, really well composed, really tricky sounding. Like it, I mean, she makes it seem effortless, but I don't know that many people can do like that thing with her voice like you just did where she kind of like cracks it, like eh, eh, eh. like she has like that weird enunciation to the way she sings sometimes. That's really interesting like some people blend words and she really sort of staggers them at times and and that's really cool and it's it's got a key change that feels earned which is Mm -hmm. so far away from like every Backstreet Boys (laughs) song we've done that just throws one in because fuck it (laughs) yeah and this doesn't feel I mean this feels more like she's playing to real instruments too like there's a band in an actual studio whereas like a lot of that backstreet stuff just feels like a backing track or like programmed on a sampler or something Uh, i can't talk enough sugar about the song Um, (laughs) the video is a a kind of a big nothing burger Um, yeah it doesn't matter because the song is so good yeah it's just her singing on the subway her like walking around singing the song and like yeah i really kind of wish there was it had more of a celebratory vibe to it because the song kind of gets there in the end you know it almost feels like a reunion song or something like that and Mm -hmm. i don't know she does sort of what pick up some guy at the airport at the end i couldn't even really Uh, she she's going to meet a guy but the guy uh isn't actually there it's just a memory Mm. uh, because they're i guess not together anymore or or he's away or something um yeah she's you know trying to walk away and she chokes and all that stuff say goodbye and jokes whatever i fucked up the lyrics to the song i've just been saying i loved <laughs> <laughs> well it, it's it's and at the same time it's a it's clearly a love song but it doesn't ever feel saccharine or um cliched like the savage garden song did and i think that adds so much to it yeah because it it doesn't i mean she might be singing about someone specifically but to me it doesn't it could be applied to anyone or you know I I don't know like the 
I'm not really, maybe I should have paid more attention to the lyrics, but it just, like, always just overwhelms me in a sense that I, like, don't really even hear what she's saying. I just take it as, like, music, but... Well, uh, let's let's leave it there. Let's just, this, if anyone has a recollection of this song, it's like, oh, I remember that voice, and I'm like, no, just go back. This song is great. A song that I went into assuming something was Hanson with This Time Around. said on an earlier episode that I think Mbop is garbage, and I will hold to that. Uh, this song is pretty good. Yeah, like, I know lots of people that love Hanson. Me too. Uh, it's It was like a shock to me because I only knew the Mbop and I was just so turned off by the Mbop yeah. forever. But these kids can play, they can actually write, like, these guys are talented and I had, I just slept on them. I just never even gave him a shot, you know, but I specifically as one of my roommate's girlfriends uh, a few years ago, like went to Hanson concerts, you know, mm-hmm. like wore Hanson shirts and like she was in her 20s, you know, like, it, I mean, yeah, I feel like Hanson was this, I mean, the girls, not every girl, but a lot of girls loved Hanson and like when I was in like sixth grade, so that's going to put it like 97, 98. Um, so this... This is like Hanson a few years later, when maybe they've grown up a bit. This is maybe more mature Hanson. And this is a really well-written song. Uh, I, they still have that same marble mouth thing that I don't really know what they're saying half the time. Uh, <laughs> but it doesn't matter. It's, it's a pretty good song. It rocks pretty hard. I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not a metal song, but it's got a good, good hook to it. And maybe it's just because my expectations were somewhere near bedrock because Mbop... But I, I really dug this song. Yeah, I hadn't even heard this song uh, since. Mm. Yeah, I, I wasn't, mm-hmm. I've never heard this song in my life. Yeah, me neither. Me neither. And so, and it wasn't even one of those situations where it was like I knew this song and it was like, oh, this is Hanson. Oh my god, it, this was like a full-on sort of like revelation where it's like, whoa, like all those people I've been listening, like hearing about that love Hanson, like there's validation to that. It's like, mm-hmm. it's not because they were teeny boppers who just wanted to umbop. Like they actually, you know, were musicians and writing their own stuff and they're brothers, right? They're three brothers. Yeah. Like that's pretty cool too. Like on top of everything else, they're brothers. Like I, I find that to be like, that was kind of rare at the, even now. Like you really don't get a lot of sibling groups these days. And so it was kind of cool to see that too. Yeah. I, I mean like, the Jonas Brothers are kind of Hanson twenty years. There later. you go. If I was if I was a dad in in nineteen ninety seven, and my my young daughter was like, "Take me to this concert that you're gonna hate, but I want to go see a concert." Okay, I'll take you. Like I'd much rather them want to go see Hanson than the Backstreet Boys. Mm-hmm. I just think it'd be a better show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I'm thinking back to when I had to go sit through New Kids on the Block. Like, if, <laughs> like yeah. could you imagine if they whipped out, like, acoustic guitars and, like, got behind a drum kit and one guy started playing keyboard? Like, my dad's mind would have been exploding, yeah. you know? He would have been like, oh, it's a real band. Like, <laughs> like, that's how I feel maybe dad's got tricked at Hanson concerts. Like, they're, like, dragged, they're like, all right, we got dragged here 
as escorts, but like, holy shit, like they're actually like playing my song. <laughs> like I could get down to this. Like, thanks, daughter. Yeah, yeah. I this it was a big surprise. It still has some of the problems that Hanson has. Like I, I think I, I can't understand a goddamn thing he's saying outside of the chorus. But I, it's it's a good it's a good jam. Did you get this is weird? Did you get any shining vibes from the video? No. No, I got kind of like a what was that? Another Cusack film, fourteen oh eight. Have you ever seen that? Oh, where he's trapped I in a hotel too. room. <laughs> yeah, I kind of got a little bit of that for some reason. <laughs> yeah, it's got a haunted hotel thing going. We both mentioned Stephen King stories yeah. that take place in haunted hotels. So, <laughs> uh, Stephen King, maybe maybe not as uh, I think he he went back to the well a few times too many. I just <laughs> as this <laughs> like there's this part like most of the videos like there's a party going on. But then you find at the end, like, there wasn't a party going on. I just kind of wished that it, like, zoomed out on, like, New Year's Eve 1918 or whatever, and, like, <laughs> they were there in black and white. That would have been so funny if, like, Hanson's actually, like, over 100 years old, and they're, <laughs> <laughs> they're like, ageless souls that are just, like, playing hotels at night. That would be awesome. You've been here all along, Hanson. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I, I, I dug it. Um, it was a big surprise. If you're like me, and you, uh, and you just... Poo-poo Hanson by default. This time around might be the one that surprises you. Yeah, and if you're like me too, who <laughs> who was like Chris, who just was like wrote them off, you know, I I'm not gonna say like I don't really have time to go and get into Hanson or anything right. like that, but like I will tell people they're more than just umbop from that one. You know what I'm saying? Like I will like I'm not gonna defend them to the end or anything, but I'm just saying like I. I think they deserve a lot more credit. My gut tells me that they won't come back because I don't think Hanson did too much after Mbop. Like I think they divided, they don't right? Remember this song? I don't. I kind of thought I heard he went off and tried to do like a solo thing, or they all. I don't know what they're up to now. I could see that because the the older guy with the guitar looks like he's in his twenties here, and the the drummer kid looks like he's ten. So there's a good chance one of them was just like, <laughs> I'm just gonna go be an adult. I I have no idea. That kid, I remember in like, he reminded me of, uh, you ever see Land of the Lost? He reminded me of like the Chakra guy or Chakra or whatever. He was like, I feel bad for saying this. Was that like the, uh, like the monkey kid? Yeah, I feel bad for saying that, but like, I just couldn't like, he just, it was, he was so young and he had like the chubby cheeks. I mean, I looked like that too. Like, I look just like that Hanson kid in the Umbop video as a little boy, but, like, I just couldn't get over it. Like, I don't know. It, was, it just kept throwing me. I'm sorry. Well, no, that, that was definitely a thing that we talked about when uh, Umbop came up was that, um, like, it must have sucked to go through puberty in front of the world. That's it, yeah. But we didn't understand how girls, like, loved them other than, just, like, they're these androgynous, unoffensive, unthreatening males which is perfect for puberty but like they they are pretty ugly dudes that's yeah i guess that's where i don't want to go i mean the one the front man's kind of got some good looks or whatever but like that's what it was i guess it was like and it still is like they're they're normal dudes i think that's part of it like they were just kids going through puberty and they did look like every other high school kid you know so I think in that sense, like, they were safe and they just had less of, like, an image to uphold, you know? But then 
the girls just went crazy for the music anyway. They didn't care. They don't, you know, that's like a cool thing too. Like they didn't care how the boys looked. They liked the music. Yeah. That, you know, that's a great point is that these are just normal kids, but in the world of MTV and, you know, image and the big time, it's like they suddenly become like threes when you put them against that, which is totally unfair because they're like, they're fine. They're completely normal looking. And yeah, that's, that's a great yeah. point. Everyone else is abnormally good looking. <laughs> I mean, even yeah. the guy at Smash Mouth, he's a normal looking dude too. You know, there, there right. you go. Yeah, it's just kind of weird that um, that's a thing about it. Is yeah, yeah. It's kind of like how I was joking. I've been doing some traveling this year, and I was joking that the the main thing I learned from going around the country was that I'm like a completely average, a Jersey five. I'm a West Virginia ten, but I'm a I'm a California Danny DeVito. <laughs> it's just like when, when it's relative compared to the people around you, things change very quickly. Holy Christ. I must be a Florida George Clooney. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, man. You, you go south. There's a. I've, I walked into a Applebee's in West Virginia because it was the only. I just finished a seven hour ride and it was in the same complex as my hotel. And I had never seen a greater density of morbidly obese people <laughs> in one place in my entire <sighs> life. Hi, West Virginia listeners. You're miles from nowhere, and the only thing is a fucking Applebee's. It's like, oh, yeah. oh Christ. <laughs> yeah, and I, uh, I might be moving there in a year, so, uh, hooray. Uh, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> well, maybe, <laughs> well, I'll go, uh, maybe you can get a part-time job at the Applebee's. Yeah. <laughs> hey. Can pour some two dollar Miller lights. That was the one highlight. Was beer was cheap as hell. Uh, doesn't it just come out of the faucet? Like, and then you can light it on fire too, and it just flames up. Yeah, all faucets are equipped with a switch for uh, Budweiser or Mountain Dew. Hmm. Oh, the Budweiser? You mean America the beer? I of course mean America the beer. All right, I wasn't sure for a sec. Tastes like uh, NASCAR exhaust and horse piss. <laughs> Ah, well, Hanson, this time around, pretty good. Yeah, you go, Hanson. I'm on your side. A song that I liked way more as a kid about the age of Hanson than I like now is Blink-182's All the Small Things. I bet everyone listening to this knows this song front to back. How could you not? Yeah, dude. So by this time, Blink-182, they are so the enemy to me. Like, they represent everything I hate about taking punk rock and just using the image and, you know, whatever. I mean, they may have come from somewhere real, but it just feels like they were put on display by, you know their label and cleaned up and propped up and this and that and like oh man they just felt like the toy version of punk to me so much like uh, I was like oh man I was hating it <laughs> I, I don't like this song 100% and looking back as you know a 14 year old kid who really cared about authenticity and selling out I don't know how I didn't see through this. This is a boy band that plays guitars. And yeah, dude, that's all oh, perfect call. They were completely, they were found by a label and made this. Like, Dude Ranch and Cheshire Cat are unimpeachable 
great power pop albums. This is trash, but it was a gateway <laughs> drug, and that's important. I never would have listened to The Clash if I didn't hear all the small things. I could I could understand it from that perspective, totally. Like, they are... Yeah, they're definitely, like, this entry point, right? Like, by this point... Well, they... I mean, the other thing is they're a Green Day clone, right? Like, Green Day was just fucking off the charts, and, like, everybody just had to be Green Day instead of themselves. This was another one of those groups. Like, I remember... Another one we're going to talk about later is, like, SR71, but they reminded me of this group, Sum 41. Oh, yeah. There was another fucking clone, and then you just had, like... The entire Epitaph roster, for the most part. Oh, let me just go just... through all of those bands I listened to. It's like New Found Glory, fucking, jeez, uh, they all just sound the same to me at this point. I can't even, <laughs> I can't even distinguish them. Like New Found Glory is the point where it all starts to blur. It's like nasally voiced singers that sing about girls. I listened to probably thirty different bands like that, and it's just, it's a, I don't even know what their names were anymore. Reliant K, MXPX. I think those were bands that I probably saw live at some point. The starting line, Midtown, I don't know. It just keeps going. Like, <laughs> like but while Blink-182 was that gateway into that crap, uh, they like I, I never would have listened to the Ramones. I never would have listened to the the Clash, the Cure. Uh, and then like, it spirals from there. It's like I never would have listened mm. to Misfits, Dead Kennedys, things like that. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's like the one saving grace is that you found better music yeah. through them. You know, like you leveled up big time through these guys. And it's kind of funny, like how you mentioned just every band you just kind of mentioned that you discovered through them. Like that's where I was coming from, mm-hmm. like like the Ramones and those guys and stuff. And fucking, I don't remember exactly what year it was, but when No Effects Ribbed came out, that fucking album was my anthem that summer. That and like, to this day, like, holy shit, that record is just insane. We were kind of, like, coming in reverse. I'm surprised we didn't meet in the middle somewhere and at, like, a at a show or something. Right? I think it was one of the last episodes. I, I My recommendation was The Decline, uh, which now is possibly more relevant uh, than ever. <laughs> but you know what I think... You know what I think fooled me? Is that... I think the video is what fooled me here. I mean, I was coming in liking Blink. Like, I got introduced to Dude Ranch and and Cheshire Cat before this album came out. But I think the fact that they were parodying boy bands is what fooled me. It's like they're mm. specifically saying in this video, we are not boy bands. We're, we're making fun of them. We're doing like an airplane thing with boy bands. So we're above that. But, I mean, the, it's, they're not. <laughs> it feels like they're... It feels like they're actually shedding their mask in this yeah. video and being themselves is how it comes across to me because I remember there was that one when they had the other drummer they had a video is that was that this is growing up it was what song was that where they're at the movie theater yeah that's damn it okay yeah so there was that and like they feel like a completely different band yeah this they and and this stuff they seem way more comfortable doing well which except, makes me except just Travis. assume Travis looks like yeah. he's pained throughout this whole video oh yeah well he never belonged. You can just no. yeah. He was their street cred, he was in the right? Aquabats. Like he came from somewhere. Yeah. And didn't the Aquabats go on to make like a children's show? Uh, yeah. Or was that a different Aquabats? No. It's Is that them. the same Aquabats? It wasn't Yo Gabba Gabba, was it? No, it wasn't that. It was. Fuck yeah. Because there's an Aquabats super show I watch with my nephew, and it's fucking awesome. And they're a band, but I remember Travis being in an Aquabats too, and I they can't be 
the same thing. No, it was. Maybe There's, it could. One of the guys from the Aquabats wow. became a producer of a kids' show, and a bunch of wow. famous bands, like the Ting Tings were on it, Bismarck Key was on it. I, I want to say it was Yo Gabba Gabba, but I don't know. That is that Yo Gabba right. Gabba, okay. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But then there's also an Aquabats super show, which is like the Aquabats drive around in a van solving mysteries like Scooby-Doo, oh, no. and then they fight like creatures that are Power Ranger-level monsters that, and stuff. That makes it's, sense for that band. It's pretty awesome. I got to say, for like a kid's show geared at six, six and seven-year-olds, I watch it with my nephew sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> and the funny thing is, they have this album, and then they have the next album with like first date on it. And then they get serious again. So, and I've followed Blink-182 their whole career because they are this entry band to me, and I'm always going to have that, like, Mark. Like, no, no pun intended, since, you know, the guy's name's Mark. But, uh, <laughs> but like, they're... We can just hop this right over there. Oh, oh, man, we're going to be taking the Delandros on road on this one. Oh, uh, <laughs> Oh, woof. Kill us, please. <laughs> Uh, what the hell was I even saying? Oh, right, so, like, I followed their career all the way. Like, I listened to the newest album. So I don't think they were always trying to be this boy band, this, uh, like, the, the rascals of, of pop music or whatever. They have room to grow, and they do, and I appreciate that. This is, I think, their lowest point, and it's also their most popular point. That's interesting. I... I haven't heard anything past this point, I believe. Like, I couldn't tell you anything past this song. This was sort of like when I just stopped hearing them, I guess. Like, they might have been playing on the radio, but I wasn't listening. I did hear, like, down the line, didn't didn't they... Isn't one of them, like, a crazy, like, conspiracy theorist <laughs> turned, like, radical director of some type? Yeah. Or any, uh, Tom DeLong showed up in the Podesta emails because he was emailing him back and forth <laughs> about aliens. Oh man, that's that's pretty crazy. So they, like he went nuts. They broke up. <laughs> but, yeah, the timeline goes: they split up. Travis almost died in the plane crash. They got back together. Oh, that's he right. went crazy. They broke up again. They brought in the guy from Alkaline Trio, and now they're touring without Tom. Okay, because I always found like the other guy. I always felt like like he understood where they stood in the grand scheme of things a little more. Then, uh, I'm getting there. Then Mark and Mark the conspiracy guy. That's Tom. The the high the nasal Tom. voice. Guy. Okay. Yeah, yeah, Tom. So so yeah. So to me, I always kind of just was like that guy. Mark was probably like the cool guy to hang out with, and then the other guy is probably just like gonna talk your ear off all night. And then Travis isn't even hanging out right. with them after the show. Yeah, I I, <laughs> I think Mark is a pretty good songwriter. I think they both probably are, but Mark is the kind of the one who set the band's direction a couple albums from now. I think there's some really good stuff there if you're just aware it's 45 year old guys singing pop punk still like it hasn't really changed that much they're not singing as poppy as all the small things but um it's it's still four power chords and some na na's and yeah yeahs yeah that's that's really tough like like you can't really break too free from this genre like you can't really go exploring creatively in the punk genre too much like I think of again like Green Day turned into an arena rock band for a few albums and you know cut some like two hour songs right like you know like that was one way of doing it like that that kind of worked for them for those for like American Idiot and everything and yeah the rock opera but now if you listen they're right back at it they released like their last four albums 
sound exactly the same and there's none of that like we're gonna push it we're gonna change like i really thought they were just gonna turn into queen (laughs) at some point you know but no they they're like now let's just go back and you know play it safe again and at least blink tried to change the funny thing about green day is and i don't know if they're ever gonna show up on a now i mean maybe we're gonna get like american idiot at some point but I think right around this time... Or when September ends, oh, you'll probably yeah, get probably. that. <laughs> I bet right around this time, Green Day is doing... Like, they're doing their mature stuff. Like, I bet this is about warning time, right? When they do that kind of stripped-down acoustic album? Yeah, I believe so. I love warning. Yeah. Warning and Nimrod are my two favorite Green Day albums by a lot. Yeah, I like Nimrod a lot. Um, it's hard to say, but... <laughs> I just think, like, they did it, like, as as best you could you know what I'm saying like you, again I just feel like the punk genre is very constrictive like you don't really have I don't know if it comes down to talent or ingenuity but like you know look at like back in the day with The Clash like they were super diverse mm-hmm. but they're still considered punk but then you look at the Ramones and like no <laughs> like every song is amazing but they also you know someone can make a case that they all sound alike like it's just very um, formulaic it's just it's it's tricky, and I just don't know if they had it in them to to sustain Blink One Eighty Two. Yeah, and then and then you know like the, the the Ramones are definitely not the Circle Jerks, and there's, there's just punk is people are so protective of punk, and we kind of talked about that with authenticity before. But like punk is punk is everything, and punk is nothing, which is I think is kind of the beautiful thing about that genre. Yeah, you should have. I wish someone was telling that to me when I was a teenager, <laughs> because like punk to me was you know. Um, like mohawks, like leather jackets, blue jeans, and safety pins. Like I did not want to hear about like wearing color or anything like that. I mean, at one point, I, I actually caved and dyed my hair green. Um, at one point, and yeah, that went over real well with my family. But <laughs> I had Liberty spikes in high school. I mean, there yeah. you go. Yeah, I had a, yeah, I had a couple friends that would like wear the mohawks, and then a bunch that were just like gas station attendants that just wore their gas station jackets to work mm-hmm. and stuff. So. And then the funny thing about that is, you know, we, we talk about authenticity, but the guy who put together the Sex Pistols openly admits that he put these guys together as a way to oh, yeah. further his fashion shop. Like, the Sex Pistols were kind Dude, of a Dude, Malcolm band. McLaren. I, yeah, I mean, he was a... Pro- he was like a producer producer like he put together like the Buffalo Girls and he had hits and he was... Yeah, he was like a fashionista. I mean... That guy knew exactly what he was doing. Yeah, he was almost like the dude who put together in sync or or yeah. whatever, right? Like he yeah, he he formed the Sex Pistols intentionally to like start a trend, which is genius, but people forget that like punk is sort of built on the backbone of marketing, right? Yeah, like and it's so anti that. Punk is dead, but I think punk never actually lived. I think punk has always been this weird <laughs> ethereal thing that can't actually be grasped as as pretentious as that sounds no i i hear that though it's like when you it's like the it's like a concept we were always trying to like acquire or something like it's just it's not it's it's in the air and it's ethereal but like you can't actually touch it but like everyone i feel like everyone was trying to do that by representing themselves with like you know red hair or leather jackets or you know bondage pants <laughs> the whole nine yards and like the harder everyone tried like the further away we got well, let's segue that right into sr71s right now
this is kind of that epitome of this disposable marketing power pop, pop punk, whatever you want to call it. This is the main reason this is in there is because everyone who's listening to this now, if you're not in a car or whatever, or when you get out of your car, please go and look at the on the Cage Club website the uh, the the playlist of videos because you have to see this video. This video is the most 2000 thing that exists. This is a time <laughs> capsule of 2000 in all of the worst ways. You've got frosted tips. You've got ball necklaces. You've got sweaters. Uh, you've got extremely baggy pants on both men and women of unknown um, fabric. Like, I think we see both pleather and then whatever, like, UFOs are made of. It's This video <laughs> is a fucking disaster. Yeah, agree, agree. I, I, I mean, I hope people don't complain that, like, our tastes are so close and stuff, but, like, <laughs> I full-on agree with you tonight. Well, but I will say, <laughs> on so much stuff. I kind of like this song, but because it's trash. Well, here's the thing about this this song is like there's there's definitely like no soul here whatsoever. No. Like this is just product through and through. But I will say this while listening to it, they thrash. Like I, they shouldn't be playing this style. They should be playing metal. Like I don't feel like they should be doing this frat rock crap because that's what it is. That's how it comes across. This is like that's all I could think. Of. It's like playing in the backyard of the frat rock party like every Friday night it's like don't forget to put on the SR71 <laughs> right now dude okay I'm putting it on right now and then that's probably like the whole joke about are you putting it on right oh, now it's just an like, I could just see death. it in my mind's eye <laughs> but yeah I mean how uninspiring is this video they're being chased around the block by mm-hmm. are they sp- do they think they're the Beatles in a hard day's night or something I think they do and you know, you're right because Blink never Blink never shredded like Newfound Glory never had a solo, even though they had the fucking uh, the guy, one of the guys. The guitarist came from Shy Halud. It's like he has hardcore roots, but they they just played the worst kind of like power chords with root note bass underneath. This at least has a riff and a distinct solo. Uh, it's got that weird vocal phaser breakdown at the, in the middle and the end that is mm. awful and has a Queen reference in the video, which don't you fucking dare. SR-71. Yeah. But yeah, it's so specifically targeted via marketing. A friend who works in uh, marketing has a shirt that has two people looking out over the clouds and it's and like a, a valley and says, let's go ruin something with marketing. And I feel like, <laughs> I feel like this is like a great example of that. It's like, this is 2000 through the lens of a 55-year-old guy. <laughs> but like... Was it this dull? Was 2000 really this dull? Yeah. Like, I guess so. I guess it was. We were also like, this was when Bush was taking office, right? Where he, yeah. it was the elect, it was an election year, right? So like, people were exhausted. We're probably around one of the national conventions in 2000 right now. Might be getting gore talking about lockboxes and the internet. Uh, yeah, so people weren't really paying attention to art at this time so much as politics, I suppose. Well, we're not and quite in. Uh, this- Bush era American idiot. No, no, Post but 9/11. I mean, I guess I just during an election cycle, a lot of this stuff could get lost to me. Sure. Like I don't know, yeah, just just drowned out. I will just you know reiterate, like drop this lead singer, wear a bunch of black, and start a metal band because <laughs> like the, unlike yeah, like you said about Blink and other a lot of the other punk bands, you know, even 
even ones I admired a lot, like Bad Religion, that did do solos, they couldn't shred. You could tell they were sort of more self-taught, like this started for fun and became serious. But with these guys, I get the sense that they're trained. Like, I feel like yeah. this guitarist is one of those dudes that, like, went to Juilliard. And because you hear <laughs> about those guys, like, they like, went to Juilliard and you know, became part of Poison, and, like, <laughs> you know, you waste all that, but, though, like, Cease actually, you're a applying great it. Exactly. Like, that's how I feel about these guys, is, like, they're, they seem well-trained, and that they can be doing a lot better than this. Like, they should be really doing, like, more intricate music. I'm, I'm putting myself back into 13, 14-year-old me, and even the music I was listening to then, like, sure, Blink and Newfound Glory and Dashboard didn't shred, but I was also listening to, like, like the guy from Less Than Jake Shred sometimes. No effects. That opening of, like, Separation of Church and Skate oh, is yeah, fantastic. Oh, yeah, no effects. Yeah, they always were more of, like, a metal punk band, too. Yeah. I think that's my, my gravitated towards them. Their licks were always really spicy. Yeah, there, there was good musicians in this genre, but I think it was easier to not have that because I certainly wouldn't have picked up a guitar if I thought it was too hard for me to... You know, this is about the time that I'm mm-hmm. learning how to play. I, I learned bass first and then guitar. But um, me know, too. <laughs> I, I think if if the bass in 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 SR seventy one sounded like end whistle, and I knew I was never going to play it in a million years, like I never would have started. So I think that was maybe part of the image too: was power chords, root notes, keep it simple. Mm. Yeah, I remember when I was twelve or thir- thirteen. Um, like I met this one of my like newer friends from middle school was like. He was just a natural guitarist, like classical, like not even trained, just from practicing. And so, like, I was like, "Oh, okay, well, I'll play bass. I'll be your bassist, right?" Yeah. But the problem was, like, I was really into Primus back then, oh, and this no. was like sailing the seas of cheese and frizzle fry, and like, I was like so discouraged when I got my bass because I couldn't be like Les Claypool or anything. So then I was like, "All right, you know what, like." The Ramones and all that like got me into power chords and simple things, and I gravitated. But I remember getting that bass, thinking I could just slap it and be Flea or Les yeah. Claypool. Like no way, dude. Like even today, if I had trained like and kept it going, I probably there's no way I could ascend to that level. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I eventually learned how to not just play root notes, but it's certainly the first songs I learned. They were really easy because. You could just go no 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 and that was that was I mean my first band I was the bassist and singer in it and I don't think that would have happened if I was solely listening to you know John Entwistle stuff or yeah or Les Claypool or Flea even like and it's I'm so happy that I learned music because I've branched out in so many ways of playing music that again like this is why I still listen to Blink One Eight Two because there's that part of me that's like I would not have uh, so many things in my life that I love if I didn't love your stupid all the small things song <laughs> then that's then it's worth it then you know Absolutely. what I'm saying then yeah then I will look at the song a little different these days because of like the perspective like just you know I, I don't really consider that like just from my point of view it was like at the end of all that like I was a year from now or a year two years from now I'll be like heavy into like classic hip hop and mm-hmm. 90s hip hop and so like I will barely listen to rock and punk and electric guitars and things like that so like I was uh, coming out of it where you were sort of getting into it so like I never really appreciate that like 
with bands, you know, how they affect people in different the different times that they hear them, you know. And I think that's a perfect segue into the next song because I think we're going to be coming at this song from very different perspectives. Uh, it's Vitamin C's Graduation, parentheses, Friends Forever. grade going into ninth grade and you were just entering college correct yeah so we're probably seeing well, what this year song was that very different places i don't know the exact year of the song but it's on a 2000s now uh and i would have been 2000 graduating eighth grade into ninth yeah i was 20 so i was uh i think i had dropped out of community college at this point and was applying to college college and <laughs> trying like wow. round two so I think I was out of school I had my own little self-graduation from community college <laughs> around this point where I quit <laughs> well vitamin C pride of not really uh, but uh, um, once possibly for a second pride of Old Bridge New Jersey the town uh, right next to where I grew up no way if I, yeah I believe she is and now uh, I think Nico mentioned this on episode one or maybe it was it was from something that was cut because we went like six hours on that initial uh, frock cut of that first episode but apparently uh, vitamin C whatever her real name is is um, pretty high up in like MTV programming these days she's oh, got like really? a corporate gig huh it's good for well, her. I wonder why she didn't keep yeah yeah I'm just surprised she didn't keep going because this seems like the kind of stuff that would just sell like I don't know I, I never heard any other song that she did no. but the, the only other thing I remember her from was playing one of Dracula's brides in uh, Dracula 2000 oh my god oh, I thought you were going to say Bram Stoker's Dracula no, for a second there no. she's no Monica <laughs> the, Bellucci yeah. for sure no no by no means but the one thing I that strikes me immediately is that her name is vitamin C which makes me think of orange juice and her hair is orange I think that's intended yeah yeah, but I don't know if that was such a good choice because now you got to keep that orange hair. It's like pink. Like when she came out on the scene, she had pink hair, and she had to keep the pink hair for like years and years and years and stuff. Right. Like if she had blue hair, they would have been like, "Your name's colloidal silver now." <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, that's kind of my only complaint. I, this song is—it's fine. I mean, it's a graduation song. You know, that's how it—it it totally feels constructed to be sold as listen to this on graduation and listen to it a lot on graduation and you're just going to get drunk and listen to this song all night. Yeah, it's um, it's just Paco Bell's canon with a hip-hop beat under it. Oh. Yeah, that's why we all know that song because it's, I mean, walking down to get your diploma or walking down the aisle, it's, it's good for either, I guess. But huh. I wanted to ask you, so uh, let's, I want to talk about Graduating. I feel like this episode's going to run long because I feel like we're going to dig into this pretty deep. Um, I remember you know, this song specifically. My eighth grade graduation was coming up, uh, and you you mentioned it before how you had to like vote for your graduating song. Yeah. And eighth grade we had to do this, and like it was unanimous this song because obviously this song, but they wouldn't let us have it because this wasn't even a dog whistle. This was a fucking air horn. They were like, it's too hip hop. Like, what? they were basically saying for our white-ass school, it was too black for us to be a graduation song. And so it's then they... It's a white girl singing it. It, I, like, to, to this day, like, even as an 
eighth grader, I was like, that's fucked up, Sayreville Middle School. Whoa. That sounds like the crazy shit going on this these this year, you know? Right? Fuck 2016, but, like, you hear about colleges where professors are getting accosted by their students because of their Halloween costumes or whatever the fuck, but, like, that is... That's weird. I never heard of that before. And... So we ended up getting stuck with Celine Dion's Because You Love Me. Oh, no. They were like, this isn't about you guys graduating. This is about you thanking your parents. And we were like, what? I mean, on the other, on one hand, like, this was eighth grade and it didn't matter in, in hindsight. Like, but it, as you're in eighth grade, it's like, why can't we have this song called Graduation that we all like as the graduation? Ah, fuck it. Um, <laughs> but so let's talk about high school graduation for a second. I know that in the timeline of now... Uh, I'm four years away from it. You're past it. Yeah. Memories of, like, graduating high school. Oh, yeah. Vivid, because high school sucked balls, like, for the most part. Like, I was just a shitty student for, like, three years, and then (laughs) really had to turn my act around as a senior. Like, went to, like, junior to senior year, did, like, two summer school courses. Senior year, had to take two history classes. (laughs) Like, I was just, like jam-packed like I became super student though like I just dropped all the bullshit and studied my ass off so like I remember senior year was actually believe it or not like the best year I guess it was like not fun but I felt like finally like in control and like I'm gonna get out of this place (laughs) and I'm not either gonna get left behind or have to drop out or anything I'll save that for community college I didn't, like, change friends or, you know, anything like that. I became, I don't know, like, a lot more social, a lot less angry just by, like, actually doing my homework and studying and keeping busy and stuff. Like, that really kind of sticks out to me now that I look back. It was really pretty angry (laughs) and miserable, like, especially sophomore and junior year was just the worst. But, like, senior year was, like, kind of fond memories. Yeah, my my best year of high school was absolutely senior year. I feel like it's most people's because you just you know that you're gone and you well, I wasn't sure. School. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, my eighth grade graduation, like when this song was. I mean, I was happy to I was uh, happy to leave. I have this very vivid memory, and I've drank away a lot of my younger memories, um, but I have this very vivid memory of like my parents coming into my room and like sitting down and like being ready for a talk and I'm like oh god who's dead but they were just like hey we think we want to send you to a Catholic school and take you out of public school and I remember them being shocked because I was like yeah yeah I hate everyone I go to middle school with (laughs) like (laughs) like, I have a couple of friends sure but like I would be happy to get out of there and they were like are you serious because I even that in eighth grade I wasn't like religious like not I wasn't some like woke eighth grader (laughs) Uh, But I just, my parents weren't religious, so I wasn't religious, so I think they thought there was going to be a real fight, and I was just like, yeah, let's get out of here, let's start something new. High school was just, it was a big nothing burger for me, like, people have these terrible experiences in high school, or or even these, like, big transformative experiences. High school just, it was a thing I went to and then came home. Like, I never had issues in high school, which is weird, because I went to kind of like a in a lot of ways, just because of the location, it was a it was a rich kids school, uh, but they never bothered me. Like they were, I was like, okay, you're the rich kids, and they were like, okay, you're the kid who wears argyle short, uh, argyle socks with Dickies shorts and fucking Converse high tops and has Liberty spikes. You look like a moron. We're just gonna leave each other alone <laughs> and like not interact. And I was fine. But that's the thing. Like this this song 
on this general idea of graduation being this big transformative experience, it's really nothing. Like, the, the line in the song, come whatever, we'll still be friends forever. Like, no, no one in the <laughs> world, even with social networking now. Yeah, it's funny because, like, I only really had, like, six core friends throughout, like, middle school and high school. And, you know, I do, they are the only ones I keep in touch with now. It's not like I went out, like, and was star football guy or anything. Like, I feel like I was mostly invisible, like, by my own design. Like, I, Mm -hmm. I, like, my friends were popular for, I guess, like, our clique. Like, as far as, like, the punks go or whatever, the alternative kids, like, my friends were social and got invited to parties so like I was always invited along with them and stuff but like I definitely tried to not make waves or you know really not matter I guess for the most part exactly yeah but it's funny like you mentioned graduating eighth grade like um my brother went to private school and I remember in eighth grade begging my parents to send me to private school also like not because I didn't like the kids or anything but like I just wanted smaller classes like more attention and like just more sort of like different ways of teaching in a way I don't know I just wanted that exclusivity for some reason and didn't get it and so I don't wonder now if I sort of was like holding a grudge against high school because like I wanted something a little more like quiet or smaller I had seen what was also available and like that's what I wanted and I was stuck in this prison basically (laughs) where they're like herding cattle kids through the hallways every hour (laughs) it was just it was really strange experience I don't know it's uh, yeah I I, the, the most I felt anything at any graduation was definitely college because I felt like holy shit like I finally did it (laughs) uh third time was a charm like I I when I went to Ramapo, I went for like a few years or a year or so, and then I ended up leaving and then going back a few years later to finish. So like at that point, I was like, finally, like I got this done. I finally was like, okay, I understand the emotion behind graduating. Like I'm not overcome by it or anything, but I totally get it now. But it took me till then to really understand three graduations until yeah. I got it. And I think this song captures that, that kind of like naivete of, this you're like your life is changing and you don't know how to deal with it so you latch on to these people that you've gone through this experience with whether you like them or not but like as soon as that mm. ends and it's passed you're like no that I'm good time to move on <laughs> uh, hopefully <laughs> yeah it's like in speed where you know relationships based off intense experiences just <laughs> you know are never gonna last <laughs> yes I also think this kind of I don't know how far apart they are or if they're gonna show up on now in the future but I feel like this kind of spurred a couple of other, like, forced nostalgia songs around this time. Because you're going to get mm. Eve Six's Here's to the Night and, like, the Atari's In This Diary, which are songs about growing up and being sad that you are growing up because the future is scary. That's that's crazy. I never even thought of that. But I think you're right. And I think it has to do with the fact that this could have only have been created to be marketed for graduation so it like opened the floodgates where it's like oh graduation songs are a genre now okay uh quickly go back to like voting for songs like the song i think that ended up winning my high school senior graduation or they ended up i think they played it at the prom or something was um these are the days by Ten Thousand maniacs or something like like, something like that 
So, like, before this, it was really just appropriating a song for graduation. And now it's like, no, this is a graduation song. Like, you don't have to play, like, that ancient one that, you know, they played for 100 years. Like, we're actually making songs for graduation now, which is... Well, I guess they'll find any angle, right? Like, <laughs> I, I think that even bled over into like our subconscious. Like, we were looking for those songs, even though you know maybe our brain realized it, but we didn't. To crib a line from uh, from Plinket. Like, I know that my group of friends come the time we were, we were going to graduate from uh, high school because I ended up my biggest group of friends actually ended up being just people I I stayed in touch with after middle school that were still in the town that I lived in because going to high school. Uh, a private high school you've got friends from all over the state and uh, or at least the county and like you can't drive to see them in the first two years unless your parents are willing to so I I stayed a lot uh, stayed close with a lot of the people that I was still friends with in middle school and to this date uh, a lot of those people I've known since 6th, 7th, 8th grade more so than high school like we we developed Mm. our own graduation songs kind of it was like uh, Less Than Jake's Look What Happened and Brand New's Soco Amaretto Lime were like the big songs of like us becoming 18 and like growing up and drifting apart and I, I feel like that was even though in a way influenced by this was like that feeling of this is us right now like we have to keep this moment because it's the purest youth and us at this transition stage I feel like this song has so much to do with that idea kind of seeping into our 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 brains damn man like this song is like a cornerstone of now and again podcast exactly. you know like it it like it, it's about now and again you know yeah. like, it, it invokes those feelings that's so crazy yeah i mean that's awesome in the mount rushmore of now and again i don't think vitamin c makes it but i feel like this song uh deserves like a place in the hall of it's fame. on the playlist yeah exactly yeah well, let's let's absolutely let's move on because um we had a lot to say about that song uh and it, there's a obviously that's the reason why it kind of made the the emissions list the next song, I just kind of made the emissions list because I don't think he's showing up on now. And I fucking love DMX, especially Party Up In Here. If I got to bring it to you, cowards, then it's gonna be quick. Oh, you made in the jail before? Suck my Do you like DMX? Yes, love him. How could you not? Love the and, and I never was really into. The stuff I played was always like like soul, jazz, and funk samples, okay. like Tribe Called Quest, you know, like around like that that type of stuff. But I would play DMX, like I would really get the energy up for this, and I, I owned a lot of DMX. Yeah, I didn't own a lot of like that when like Nelly came out with the Dirty South mm. and Ludacris and that. That really in anyway, like I, yeah, so like. I was more of like into the 80s, 90s hip hop, but I was really digging DMX, his energy, his image, and just that whole Rough Rider stuff. Yeah, love it. Love this chorus. Love. I, I specifically love the radio version of this song because it's so censored. I, to this date, have no idea what most of the lyrics are, except <laughs> in the chorus. It sounds like a, a morning zoo show when you listen to the, the, uh, the verses because... They self censor with like samples of him. Like, it's like, woo, 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 woo. It's like, it's ridiculous how much it's, you can't say. That's what blew my mind the most about how all this stuff became mainstream hip hop yeah. is just how you just couldn't play it on the air. Like, you just 
why even play the uh, why I play the vocal track? Just play the beat because like it makes no difference. Half of the song is bleeped out in the, anyway. It's remarkable to me to this day. Like I understand the music's the music's good, so it's gonna find a way to break through, you know. But it's just funny how like you can't even hear the song that you're listening to. It's all about the chorus. Yeah, it's a chanter too, you know. Up in here, up yeah. in here, like this song gets you jacked up, man. Like to fucking do anything, really. I feel like if I was like a UFC fighter or a wrestler or a boxer or any kind of yeah. athlete, like this would be playing in my head. Like this would be getting me pumped oh, up. Absolutely. Like DMX can do that. Fuck, and Rough Riders Anthem is great too. Yeah, I even got into Eve for a while. I started spinning some of her stuff and. I mean, I definitely remember this beat and DMX beats were just so like, what is it? There's just not like, there's just a lot of air between everything. So there's just, you could really like, I remember my friends and I would would, like juggle this a lot or cut it up or really just like mess with this beat a lot. That's a good one. So, yeah. Yeah. He's really just in the emissions because I wanted to talk some sugar about DMX and uh, he also had a very (laughs) brief acting career. I know he was in uh, Romeo Must Die, which we mentioned on this, uh, on the previous episode. Holy shit, he was in yeah. that too? I know he's in a movie with like a professional wrestler, Rob Van Dam, I believe. I know he's in there with, a, maybe it's Batista. He's definitely in there with some professional wrestler in, in some terrible movie. I think he's maybe in there with Steven Seagal in some movie. He's got a, a, a whole oh, bunch yeah. of direct-to-video credits that are hilarious. I remember that. I think I saw that Seagal film at some point. It was Fat Seagal by that point. It wasn't like... Most... Wasn't like Seagal has good Seagal. Seagal has always spiritually been Fat Seagal. Like he is a very <laughs> minimalist martial artist for like white guy karate. Is it, well, he, it's like it's a keto, which is like judo ish, and it's like the whole thing is you don't move a lot. Like people come at you, and you just like step aside, or like you use their momentum. So it's perfect for a fat yeah, guy. Yeah, and he's, it's judo <laughs> with neck snapping, apparently. Yeah, it's all just get him in, anything you could do to get him into that headlock position and just snap. Oh man. Of, that's his of all the move. white guy karate people, I think I, I dislike Steven Seagal the most. <laughs> you got the moves, you know. He had the look for a while. He definitely had an attitude about him. So I could I could understand where Hollywood was like, we need people who could actually do their own moves. And, like, there weren't very many of them. So Seagal got, like, rushed to the front of the line. Seagal, though, believed in all of, like, the weird mysticism shit. And there's, mm-hmm. there's a pretty famous story. Um, I'll try to put in the show notes someone telling it better than I can. But basically, he told Judo Jean LaBelle, who is like the practitioner, like the innovator of mixed martial arts, like a guy who brought all of these styles together and created something new with them. Uh, he's a legend. Uh, he told him, at a, apparently they were at some place together, and he was like, I can't be choked out. And Jean LaBelle was like, excuse oh, me. Yeah. And he was like, I just... I just focus my chi and I can't be choked out and he was like okay do you want to test this and Gene LaBelle choked him out and made him shit his pants and I think that's the most <laughs> Steven Seagal story ever and I love it oh it's wonderful that is it's just wonderful that just yeah that says everything yeah. about him like he was super pretentious like took himself way too seriously still does for Christ's sakes like he was on a show a few years ago where they deputized him oh my and god followed him yeah. around with a camera what was that about? He's a piece of shit in your life. Uh, let's, I mean, let's, let's not go negative. Let's go positive to, to end the, uh, the omission section. DMX rules. Love DMX. Would love to see him make a comeback. 
Yeah, I think he was out there a few years ago rapping the night before Christmas or something like that, or I don't know. But go online, check YouTube. There's a lot of great clips of DMX freestyling. Nice. Cool. I'll try to find something for the show notes. We're going to move into a segment now. Speaking of DMX, we're going to go to Rap Genius. I graduated from Versace Junior College. The Rap Genius is a website where any old idiot on the internet can annotate the lyrics of a song and provide their opinion, their deep reading of what they think is occurring in these lyrics. And, ooh, it is a real disaster, as uh, you've heard on previous episodes. But before we jump straight into Rap Genius, we were gifted something that is indescribable, but I will do the best that I can. It is the deep background of the main alien character from Eiffel 65's Blue video. So this is from that video those that creature the blue guy like yes. flying, like so this is this is him this is what his these are his thoughts he's got like a 10 page long backstory that i guess eiffel 65 created like there was oh. this whole multiple video arc with this fucking turd bullshit the best way i can describe it is like if you were a star wars nerd growing up you know mm-hmm. that there are a bunch of books about like every single bounty hunter who appears in that three second yeah that three second scene in Empire Strikes Back every single one of those bounty hunters has a novel about him every single Gleeplop in the cantina was simply <laughs> fighting for the rebellion or the empire and they have a novel about them it's kind of like that this is the yeah. Eiffel 65 extended universe see this just further confirms my they're a Daft Punk ripoff because like these are their version of the robots right like this is what they're going for this is like their through line or almost like with um, gorillas right how like gorillas are an animated band and like that worked really well so like this is that is going on here I can't believe that's going on here that's the intention this is towards the end of the story so now this this is this is the blue alien okay this is crazy Say okay, six was afraid. The crowd of Tuconians was overexcited. That was another effect of the, quote, music that he did not know. He started to fear for his life. In that moment, he saw, oh boy, in that moment, he saw Zerottle, and he started to scream, Zerottle, save me! This people want to kill me. Please, you know the human habits. Please help me to capture them. (laughs) Capture them, Zerottle said. Are you crazy like Tuconian frog during the reproduction time? <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is like a blue frog. He is the fr- Tuconian frog in the mating process. Don't you know that humans would fight till the end and even if you captured them, they would never cooperate? How can you be so evil? Uh, the crowd went nearer, say okay six, who started shaking. Please, Zerottle, help me to bring them back. I promise you that they will be treated like guests and that I will not touch them, and I will let them go away whenever they want. Okay, Sir Rodel said. I will try to call them back, but I will not do it for your pleasure, but for the good of the galaxy, since, if we work together with the humans, we might find one day the universal language that the galaxy needs. Holy crap. Zerodal gave the order to send a gamma ray visual transmission so that the three humans could come see it. The message was written in human language and was, Please come back. Uh, the three humans called Eiffel 65 saw this transmission from their starship. They accepted to listen to Zerodal's message. 
Hello, human friends. My name is Zerat. Oh, Jesus. Zeratel Kuyakako Shushik 4. What the fuck are we doing here? Oh. <laughs> uh, but friends call me Zeratel. I am very sorry for what happened to you. But please let me explain the real story. Oh, my God. After having learned all the story to Eiffel 65, Zeratel said, We are in general peaceful people, and we are in love with the science art that you call music. With your help, we would like to learn it and show you my good intention. If you allow me, I will go on stage to sing your song Blue together with you as a sign of friendship. So that same night, Zerottle went on stage with Eiffel 65, and in that very moment, he understood that, yes, music was the form of communication he was looking for, and that he had to travel the galaxy and the universe to meet as many different forms of music he could and extract the key to universal language. Uh, I think this is actually the plot of that Arrival movie that's coming out. <laughs> it's close. I saw. Yeah, <laughs> this uh, right off the bat. This sounds like something written in a foreign language translated yeah. into English. Absolutely. I, I said they were French before, but I believe they're actually Italian. And yeah, I think it's just mm. that someone straight up Google translated it and slapped it in there. Oh my god, dude! Why? I mean, I can't believe that this is what's up there now like we could come up with something better than this i mean i don't want to take the time or anything but like just off the top of my head like this this is so incoherent at times i'm not even sure what's happening like i'm sure you and i could just come up with oh yeah so much cleaner and there's about a dozen more pages of it and that's definitely going to be linked in the oh show my notes God. and it looks Are like you uh, serious oh yeah and it looks like on? Uh, if you if there's that big meme about like how the space jam website is still up like this looks even yeah. more geocities than that does. It is disgusting. Everyone should definitely check out uh, Eiffel 65's Blue Daba D Zarottle Gleep Glop Extended Universe story because it is a real fucking disaster. Yeah, and you gotta have that song on a loop while you're reading this stuff, too, to get the full experience about it, you know, because <laughs> that's them talking like the dabba dee, dabba doo, dabba dasta, the yabba dabba do thing <laughs> like that's actually the thing going, we have to collect science art and sound <laughs> music from galaxy around everywhere If an alien came to Earth and the first music they heard was blue I wouldn't blame them for Independence Daying us. Yeah, oh <laughs> we would be toast for sure <laughs> Yeah, and we would completely deserve it like, I think that, that golden disc they sent out, right, like, years, like, decades ago, right, on some, the, uh, they, like, sent a coded message into yeah. space. I think it's got, like, Beethoven on it. Thank God, right? Like, it doesn't have, like, we didn't send that out this year or anything. Yeah, maybe we won't immediately be be incinerated and wiped off the face of the earth as if, as if we had gotten blue. <laughs> They're going to be coming looking for this guy Beethoven, and then, you know, sorry, man, you're like... You're a few years too late, but here's Eiffel 65. <laughs> oh, we're fucking dead. <laughs> oh, man. It's that, that's how Mars Attacks started. That's the secret prequel to Mars Attacks. Oh, that's funny, too, because wasn't it, like, music that destroyed them in the end, yes. too? Yes. <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, not Barry Manilow. Tom Jones. Uh, right? I know Tom Jones is in it. I know that much. Can you fly a plane? Sure. You got one? <laughs> Which would you rather read the lyrics for, Meet Virginia or uh, Graduation? I'll read the Meet Virginia lyrics. Okay. So you read the lyrics and I'll do the analysis. This is the breakdown of Meet Virginia by Train. She doesn't own a dress. Her hair is always a mess. If you catch her stealing, she won't confess. She's beautiful. 
Virginia is not a girly girl. She is a tough cookie with flaws that doesn't conform to society's standards for women. But those things are what draws Patrick to her. Jesus Christ, this is such a trend. Is people referring to lead singers by first name basis? I do that all the time talking about movies where I don't refer to the character name but the actor name and stuff. Um, okay, I guess one go. thing when like you were talking about Blink-182 that has two singers, it's like you have to differentiate them. It's like, oh, there's Mark and there's Tom. Or like Backstreet Boys, each one is like their first name. But when you're just talking about the lead singer of a band, it's like, I don't know, that seems wrong. Rap genius is the genius, so we should yield to it. All right, so these are here's some more lyrics. Mm-hmm. Smokes a pack a day. No, wait, that's me. But anyway, she doesn't care a thing about that. Hey, she thinks I'm beautiful. Even though she's a non-smoker, her nonchalant attitude towards his chain smoking makes him almost forget that she does not partake. She sees the best in him the same way he sees the best in her. And I'm sorry, dude, but I'm pretty sure she would mind if you're a chain smoker about, like, the fourth or fifth date. It's like, we can't stay in a restaurant for more than five minutes. We can't go in a bar for more than five minutes. You have to go outside and smoke. It's like, dude. <laughs> um, we're in 2000, so at least in New Jersey, he's got, like, one and a half more years to smoke indoors before oh. that gets banned. He's on a time crunch with this chick. Mm-hmm. Well, she wants to be the queen... Then she thinks about her scene, pulls her hair back as she screams, I don't really want to be the queen. Can I just say, I really hate songs that rhyme the same word with, like, itself. Yeah, absolutely. And that became a big thing with, like, cheapo rappers, too, where they would rap, Mm -hmm. they would rhyme, like, door with door and, like, over and over and over again. Yeah, that always annoyed the hell out of me. Virginia thinks about becoming the queen. But then she realizes that becoming the queen is not who she really is. She gets stressed out when she thinks about being the queen. Maybe prom queen. Oh, yeah. Her brother is a fine mediator for the president. And here she is again on the phone. Just like me. Hates to be alone. We just like to sit at home and rip on the president. Uh, Patrick and Virginia take, take a break from being different sometimes when they engage in America's favorite pastime. Uh, This line also connects the speaker's previous association of the president with Virginia's brother. It is plausible that Patrick and Virginia rip the president largely because Virginia's brother has a successful political career working for the top dog. Virginia aspires for success, but not the kind of success that would require the level of conformity that her brother has had to exude for years in order to maintain his position by criticizing the president. She's indirectly criticizing her brother on the path he chose. There's someone on the internet who has a board with pictures based on this song. Like, there's a, a line of string drawn from Patrick to the guy in the suit in the video to Rebecca Gayhart <laughs> to, like, Bill Clinton, I guess. It's just, I can't believe someone can read that much into this, like, right? I mean, I don't know. I, I like, I don't... That's a really stupid lyric, and they're going, like, the president doesn't have to necessarily mean the president of the United States. He doesn't have to be, like, some super politician. You know what? Just read the next, this is two lines, and most of it is gobbledygop, and there's a paragraph on it, so let's just roll. Okay. Meet Virginia. I can't wait to. Meet Virginia. Yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, hey. This song titled Meet Virginia 
serves to introduce the listener to Virginia and her life story. It's implied that the speaker knows her personally, even more so when the speaker starts talking about Virginia and their relationship. This line, however, is a critical shifting point in the song, as the narrator admits that he, too, would like to meet Virginia, a character we discover isn't really part of the speaker's life at the present. Virginia is instead a hypothetical girl the speaker dreams about, one he wants to describe and introduce to the world, as much as he wants to meet a real girl with the matching description. Thus, the title has a double meaning. We listeners get introduced to Virginia as the speaker imagines both the girl of his dreams and the possibility of actually meeting her. This is 2000's Radio Donnie Darko, or I guess, or whatever. Uh, This new information fits perfectly with the rest of the song, which stresses that imperfection is okay, and that real life doesn't need to live up to crazy high expectations associated with royalty as Virginia comes to realize she doesn't, why is there brackets there, really want to be the queen. Also, the author is making a point that imperfection isn't just something we come to accept in real life. It can also be beautiful in itself. After all, the speaker's dream girl is not what many would consider ideal, but a realistic woman with good intentions, strong convictions, and her share of problems. That was three paragraphs saying the same thing over and over again by definitely a different author than the rest of the song annotations were. That guy just got all of his shit in on that line. (laughs) Exactly. I want to believe that this is a joke, but it's not. Like, it can't be. Like, these people are just... Are seriously thinking too much about this, but not even thinking like in any sort of way that makes sense. <laughs> like, no. It is so confusing with what, 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 their conclusions. I can't believe this site exists. It's that's, insane. Uh, that's not even like freshman 101 English class levels. That's just. I think that kind of analysis can only exist on Rap Genius where you can edit it to say whatever you want. <laughs> I mean, to me, this song is about a girl that's from a small town and is cool with that and doesn't need to go live in the big city and be rich and famous. Right. Exactly. That, that's all it really had to say. Like, can I replace all of this with what I just said? Control A, delete. Well, <laughs> uh, let's jump into Vitamin C's graduation, Friends Forever. Because okay. we're moving on and we can't slow down. These memories are playing like a film without sound. It says life passes by so fast and there's no slowing down and going back, so all you can do is remember the fun nights with friends and to enjoy life. This reminds me of myself when I was younger and I wanted to grow up fast. Now I want to be a kid again and just enjoy my childhood a bit more because now I realize there's no going back. Stay at home talking on the telephone with me. Vitamin C had to stay at home to talk on the phone because landlines. <laughs> That's kind of good, I have to say. <laughs> like, is that it's a not joke, good, but. Or is that just like millennial annotations on. That's it. Like, it's. He's, he's, it's not a joke, but that's why it's so fucking funny. Yeah, I, think, <laughs> I think that guy gets rap genius, maybe. I hope so. As we go on, we remember all the times we had together, and as our lives change, come whatever, we will still be friends forever. Seems to be a bit contradictory from the first verse that recognizes people move on with their lives and cannot live stuck in the past. However, 
it is a great sentiment for friends to hold on to when they sit around the campfire cracking Miller lights. Texas forever? What? <laughs> you know, like, what the hell? You're not supposed to put yourself into your analysis. Like, first thing you learn in like high school is don't put I into your essays. This guy just inserts his own personal experiences right into this chorus. And it's just like, San Dimas High School rules, man. Yes, that's exactly what I was thinking. Like, holy shit, that is too much. I was almost going to give that one a little more credit. That uh, Well, I mean, I'll give it a lot more credit than the, the previous one. I mean, it's it's way less up its own ass. But then <laughs> the Texas Forever shit, that's a fucking amazing. Like, from now on, I'm going to think that graduation is like a high school in Texas taking place there. Well, I don't think this analysis was very good because if you jump down to the uh, the comment section, Ashley Salazarazul asks, "Is this a graduation song?" <laughs> Again, I'm taking all this like at face value that they're being completely 100% not kidding whatsoever. Well, I mean, granted, if you only read the analysis and none of the actual lyrics, you wouldn't know it was a graduation song. <laughs> Rap Genius is the nexus of realities for the internet, (laughs) as far as I'm concerned. Like, I just feel like it's interdimensional beings from everywhere, and, like, this is as close to sense as they can make of our universe, (laughs) and we're we're reading it. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to go on there with that in mind from now on. This website is how the aliens from Blue uh, understand the rest of (laughs) the music. That is not just Eiffel 65. Do you have any recommendations for anything that maybe came out around this time that still holds up or you think is worth revisiting? Now 4 came out around 2000? Yeah, mid-2000-ish, something like that. Mid-2000, okay, cool. So I'm checking now. Um, Really good movie came out in 2000, also about music. Um, Kind of, you know, gets into discussions Based on, you know, it starts about music and then goes other places. I'd say check out High Fidelity with John Cusack. Awesome. Came out in 2000. That is a great movie. I've said before on this show that it is, um, like, in some ways that movie has inspired uh, this, this podcast. Love High Fidelity. This is the third time we've brought up John Cusack on this episode. 1408, <laughs> uh, the, the, the paper boy, and this. Welcome, welcome to Cusack Cast. Dude, I don't want to alarm you, but I think he's just standing across my street, like, staring at me. Holding a radio, <laughs> playing uh, Peter Gabriel above his head. There. Exactly. Oh, it's Lloyd. That's who it is. There you go. I'm going uh, to recommend a book. And now that I think about it, maybe John Cusack would, uh, would be good playing the lead in a movie if this book was remotely filmable. Uh, Mark Danielewski's House of Leaves came out around this time, and it is a book that I think time has kind of split its opinion on. I think some people go as far to say it's kind of uh, pretentious and up its own ass, and I wouldn't entirely disagree with that, uh, but I still think it's extremely interesting and extremely well-written. It's about a house that seems to be growing from the inside out and is bigger on the inside uh, than it appears to be on the outside. Uh, It's a horror novel that kind of does this weird Inception thing where you're reading the story of someone who found this story and the impact that it has on them. So it's kind of this layer within a layer. 
super interesting, full of all these, like, weird diegetic footnotes. Like, it's got footnotes from a Stephen King that's talking about the film that exists within the world, within the world of the book. I know I'm not doing a great job <laughs> of uh, explaining it, but House of Leaves, I think, is one of the best post-Lovecraft cosmic, unexplainable horror uh, novels to exist, uh, and I highly recommend it because, like I said, we'll, we'll never see a film of it because it's completely unfilmable. And I think that's a high point of recommendation uh, for a book is something yeah. that can just never be turned into a film. So House of Leaves, Mark Danielewski. Nice. I'd, I'd actually not heard of that. It sounds awesome, though. I mean, I was going to interject and say Lovecraft uh, for sure from your description, and and I love that kind of horror, too. So, um, yeah, I'm going to put this on the list. Yeah, for it's sure. completely bonkers. Mike, thank you. Uh, where can people find you online? Oh, well, I guess we could go to cageclub.me. We got the Cage Club, Keanu Club, the Zack Attack. We got the Shia Now, all his movies. You can check that out. And, you know, some more surprises in store down the line. And, and then we got the facebook.com slash cage club, where you got to, you know... Like us on that and stay up to date on everything and check out the iTunes and subscribe and all that good stuff. You make my admin uh, spiel really easy at the end <laughs> of the show. Anytime someone from Cage Club is on, it's like I have to do so much less work. Yeah, Joey's always doing it on the end of our shows. I rarely get a chance, and uh, I feel like I just nailed it that time. A+. plus. Thanks for listening once again. That is now Volume 4. Thanks again to Mike Manzi for stopping by. In addition to all the social networking Mike mentioned, you can follow this show at NowAgainPod. And right into the mailbag, nowandagaincast at gmail.com. That's all for 2016 at Now and Again. Thanks for coming along for the ride. Be on the lookout for a special little treat in the coming weeks. And until 2017, we will catch you on the flip side. We're